Quack, quack, quack. Oh my goodness, y'all. Uh, this could be, you know, it's setting up for a big week for both these teams, for both Oregon and Utah. Everything is on the table still. You can still get to a freaking Rose Bowl, which is really what we all want. No Pac-12 team really wants to just get slaughtered at the altar of the college football playoff. No, we all really want to go to the granddaddy of them all. The real, the only true uh, postseason game. And so it's it's all there for us. It could be a soul-crushing loss. Not a soul, maybe that's a little too much. It could really, really hurt my feelings if we are just to get boat raced by Utah this next week. And I'm sure a whole bunch of Duck fans would be crushed. It could also be a super empowering thing of like, oh, okay, we're back in it. You know, like, let's forget that Washington game ever happened. Let's keep going. So it's it's all there, you know. We don't know how this roller coaster is going to end, but it's probably going to be pretty exciting, I imagine. Even if it's a terribly boring game, uh, I'm going to, like, chew through most of my fingernails. So to get through that, to help out Duck fans and Utah fans alike, we invited one of our very favorite guests, one of our very favorite Utah guests, too. We can even be specific about that because we've had uh, the great Avery of No Truck Stops, and we have also have this guy right here, Greg of No Truck Stops, who we've been a fan of. I mean, I think uh, I, I first listened to No Truck Stops during uh, last basketball season, Pac-12 basketball season, because it was so hard to find and anyone talking about the mm-hmm. Pac-12, yeah. uh, let alone basketball, which was way harder. And you guys really came in the clutch there. And you're just a really entertaining podcast, so I'm happy to have you on again, Greg. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is my uh, go-to Oregon podcast along with... Uh, <coughs> sorry. Uh, this is yeah. my go-to go. Oregon podcast when I am uh, <laughs> uh, trying to... I don't know when I can't stop thinking about the game coming up because, you know, last year we had two of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And afterwards, when I was riding the high of the win, I was very excited to come here and hear y'all break it down. What happened there? Uh, Exactly. That was a lot of fun for me. I'm hoping I get a similar (laughs) experience this year. Well, we we will offer the exact same thing that we offered Avery when she called that that Utah was going to win us, beat us the first time. If you want to come back, and glow on the show. Just leave a message even. We will play that. We will play unedited, on air, just just whatever you want. We offer uh, that to our guests. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. Uh, how Just this Utah football season, I mean, it, it had so much hype, obviously. It's still totally there. I mean, the, the season's in front of you. Obviously, not. we're not talking natties anymore. But Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts so far in this 2022 season? So, obviously, Utah eliminated from playoff contention. I don't really care because, like, I never saw the playoff as the goal for me personally as a Utah fan because I just am not super enthused by the idea of a guaranteed blowout loss to end (laughs) the season. So, like, a Rose Bowl going there again was, you know, what I really wanted out of the season. And uh, the Florida game was concerning. Uh and after that, you know, things started to pick up again. And then against UCLA, I after that game, I, I buried Utah. Um, <laughs> I thought, I thought this team had no chance of competing for anything. I thought the defense wasn't good enough. The offense wasn't good enough to compensate for how bad the defense was. But then they went and beat USC, 
and I've picked up, you know, some wins since then. So, I mean, like it's all in play. All, at least all my goals are still in play. Absolutely. No, I, I, I get exactly that. Um, and this week in general for the Pac-12 is, should be pretty yeah, exciting. Even the smaller games like Hith and I were talking about, like, uh, like, is it is it Wazoo um, Arizona? Yeah. That is right. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, Jane Delora returning, uh, oh, trying to burn down Pullman. Yeah, Jane Delora I... revenge game against a team <laughs> that loves to create chaos defensively. Like we could get Jane Jane Delora's finest hour or like a seven interception game. I'm prepared for both outcomes. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could happen in the exact same game. Like that's knows? a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Well, uh, but to break down, obviously, the game that everyone here is caring the most about, uh, Hithliday, can you help us get through this roster? I can try. This has been an interesting team because, you know, they had that win that you mentioned over USC in which, in particular, you know, Dalton Kincaid couldn't be stopped. You know, I think he was 16 for 16 for 200 yards, you know, crazy numbers. Then they had a bye week. And then it's been real weird after the bye, mm-hmm. you know, it's so weird. You know, they already had the loss of Brant Keithy, who's the, uh, the the tight end par excellence. I would actually go so far as to say I think he's the best tight end in the conference. Um, and in fact, thought, have thought that for a couple of years. He's done for the season. Um, I remember when we talked in the summer. We went pretty deep into the tight end room because I thought this was sort of an, a subterranean thing about Utah's offense. You know, that they they were going, you know, 2021 was a great offensive season for them because they had, you know, three functional tight ends who could catch the ball, which is, in my opinion, like the critical threshold that Andy Ludwig needs in order to operate an offense, which I, I learned um, mm-hmm. uh, through great pain and difficulty in 2002 to 2004 when he was Oregon's offensive coordinator. And with, you know, Cole Fotheringham departing. You know, and also Britton Covey, you know, collecting his pension checks. You know, they were already starting to do some interesting stuff with Brant Keithy in terms of him sort of partially taking over the Britton Covey role. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in between those factors occurring and then Keithy's injury, even by the USC game, I felt like this offensive structure w- was really pared down compared to the 2021 offensive structure. Um, you know, they were basically really just throwing balls to two guys, uh, you know, Keithy and uh, Devon Vele, who's another interesting story, both of whom I think were unrated out of high school. And, you know, it just in that sense, the passing offense just seems, you know, a lot narrower in, in what it can do compared to last year. Do you think that's a fair, like before we even get to the weirdness after the bye week, I'm still just talking about, you know, the first part of the season uh, up through the USC game, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but do you think that's a fair assessment of the state of that offense that it was like, or at least that passing offense that it was, it was cramped or or narrower compared to 2021. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I was, I was screaming about it at the time. So first thing I want to say is you mentioned, you thought you think of Brent Keithy as the best tight end in the conference. One of the best in the country. Of course, I agree that he is one of the best tight ends uh, in the country. However, I've always thought of Kincaid as a better player, uh, but that's that's unimportant, I guess. <laughs> right. But he, the... can, he can be a more dynamic pass catcher. But in terms of like the whole package, no, nah, give me Keithy. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Like in particular, the blocking, like the blocking mm-hmm. grades are, are pretty clear, at least in 2021, when I got to be, you know, to really compare them. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. This has been a, you know, a difficult. It's a weird year. To it's do a that. Weird yeah. Year. Yeah. Um, but back to the Utah offense, I completely agree uh, about, you know, it was much narrower. It felt like 
uh, Cam Rising had tunnel vision. He could mm-hmm. not look away from Brant Keithy. It was it was really painful to watch. I swear we threw like four passes to receivers in the first two weeks of the season. Um, and that, that hurt to watch, and I think it was hurting the offense a lot. Uh, that was probably the that was probably the void left by Britton Covey. You know, he didn't have a receiver. He trusted nearly as much. It does feel like that. That's true of cam rising that like the, the, he sort of, I don't want to say play favorites is not quite the right word. Yeah. He like, just has his guys that he trusts and yeah. it's hard to get him to go away from those. I totally agree. Uh, <clears throat> and so if Keithy's injury had been a short term thing, like if he had been out for two weeks, I think that would have been a fantastic thing for Utah because after Keithy got hurt, it forced rising to look elsewhere. Uh, you know, obviously that meant Kincaid getting basically all of his targets, but uh, it also meant, I think that Devon Vele started getting more targets and the other guys like money Tarks and uh, Jalen Dixon were getting some as well. Uh, but after, you know, once you start playing the good teams again and you're not just trying to get ready for the top teams in the conference, it really does hurt to not have Brant Keithy as a part of this offense because it kind of feels like they're hanging on by a thread a little bit. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. And I mean, the other thing, you know, sort of evidence of what we've been talking about is, you know, Jalen Dixon and Solomon Enos, like are the old men of the team, right? Mm-hmm. Like those guys feel like they've been around since the Obama administration. And I mean, like, with a name like Solomon Enos, it sounds like he's 3000 years. It's old. true. He does sort of, it's like a yeah. Methuselah kind of name. Um, mm-hmm. But like, but those guys are hardly getting, you know, the ball at all. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, you know, lock on or or or, or playing favorites or or just you know chemistry or whatever. Like, you know, Rising likes to throw to like only a couple of different guys. And like, I often sort of wonder about how opposing defenses, you know, approach that in terms of coverage. Like, you know, obviously you can't just leave Money Parks, you know, or Jalen yeah. Dixon or whoever uncovered, you know. But like, I really feel like this offense could. You know, I, I didn't understand why USC was playing Kincaid and Vele the way that they were. Like, I really felt like that was a, you know, n- no surprise that Alex Grinch would like screw up a defensive yeah, structure. Yeah, he's not a good defensive coordinator. <laughs> he really isn't. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I re- I really felt like there were sort of opportunities there for defenses to sort of like, well, just put an extra dude, you know, right there. Um, but and so now, like now, fast forward after, you know, the bye week, so we get three pretty weird games. Right. So the Washington State game, um, uh, uh, Cam Rising's a late scratch. Dalton Kincaid goes out tw- two different times, you know, mm-hmm. with injuries. Um, uh, I think Tavion Thomas was in the doghouse, uh, you know, the lead yeah. running back. Uh, I, I don't actually let me pause there. What was going on with Thomas? So it's still a bit of a mystery, but like there were like reports that I'm not sure how true they were, but like they were made by, you know, credible people that he had left the USC game without pads early. Now, I don't think that part is true, but I do think he left without pads before going to the locker room. And it's long been a thing that like he doesn't like going to class and uh, he, he is want to get in fights with the with the coaches which can cause problems uh and so he's been in the doghouse for a while however i do think he is 
he's out of the doghouse at this point. He got the game ball after the Stanford game. Uh, he actually I played. I guess you got to give it to somebody. <laughs> he had a great game. He actually had a better game than he did last year, which is wild considering what he did to them last year. But uh, against Arizona, he actually played kick coverage. Uh, and he seemed extremely pumped to do that. I've never seen anyone as excited to play kick coverage as he was <laughs> in that game. Uh, so it seems like he's out of the doghouse, although I'm I'm not convinced he's our best back at this point. I don't think he is as good as he was last year. And uh, Makai Bernard, I, I love him. Uh, <laughs> I think he's a great player. Uh, and Jalen Glover, I think, also is a very nice player for a freshman. And so I don't think even if, uh, even if Tavion is out of the doghouse, I don't think he's going to be getting all the carries, assuming those two are back healthy, which is definitely not a guarantee because they've had a lot of injuries in the running back room. Uh, let's put a pin in the running back room for a minute here. I want to, you know, keep talking about the um, what's going on with the passing game. So um, rising comes back for the last two weeks uh, against Arizona and against uh, Stanford, not great defenses, either one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Wazoo kind of curiously does have a great defense, arguably the best defense in the PAC 12 outside of Utah. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, that's interesting that we didn't get a, you know, a test of like a lot of Utah's like key offensive personnel against, you know, that defense. Um, of course, wazoo's offense were it was like yeah i mean they can't run so yeah it's sort of yeah and they were making a bunch of screeply calling decisions um but anyway i i don't know what the deal is with cam rising i don't understand what the injury is it definitely seems you know compared to the two games that he played against the los angeles teams and really other other game that i've seen him you know play in which like cam rising running the ball and like I do film study, I can separate out designed runs from like scrambles, mm-hmm. but like cam rising in the designed run game was like, if Andy Ludwig was in trouble and he needed, you know, a conversion, um, it, it was cam rising was going to keep the ball. Yeah. And then after the bye week, that just hasn't been true. You know, Wazoo, because he wasn't playing in Arizona and Stanford, partially because they were just rarely in those situations. Um, uh, but like, but, Personally, I think that they're sort of still protecting him, right? I definitely agree. It feels that way. And he just has seemed off since USC. Uh, And I think he started the season kind of off too. He hit his stride, was playing really well, got hurt against USC. And since then, he's just missed some throws that like really confused me. And like you said, there has not been nearly as much of the quarterback run game from Utah since that injury which totally makes sense. I think that's the right call. If he's hurt, like you got to protect him. Cause I think the drop off to Bryson Barnes is massive. Um, but it does scare me uh, going forward because I agree with you completely that cam rising's legs have been uh, Andy Ludwig's get out of jail free card. There's a reason uh, the two point conversion to beat USC was a cam rising run. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it hasn't always worked out, right? I mean, there was the fumble against UCLA, which arguably mm-hmm. cost him the game, um, or at least was the, you know, the final nail. Um, and, uh, it, and yeah, man, like I, I just, you know, the, uh, I'll ask you just cause I'm not doing my job if I don't, but like, uh, I, I can't imagine that you actually know the answer. Like what's the deal with him? Do you know, you know, how close to a hundred percent he's going to be for Saturday? Like, do you have any scoop at all about what the story with Cam Rising is? 
so I have no scoop. What I know is, uh, you know, he had his knee, his knee was wrapped against Washington state. Mm. Uh, and then he's had a brace on it since. Um, oh, does he not normally wear a brace? I don't think so. Huh. I think that's new. Uh, all right. Unless I'm just totally spacing out. Uh, I'm sure it's a knee injury though. Cause I mean, like why else mm-hmm. would they have it wrapped in the game? He didn't play. Uh, the nice thing was against Stanford, he had at least one scramble. Where Two, I yeah, where and like one of them's really like he he outruns a DB. Exactly, now, like he. Moved. I don't really think much of Stanford's DBs. I, I'm not sure he could outrun maybe like half the DBs in the conference, but he outran that guy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what's you know, I don't know. Like I don't know how much of that was precar- you know, because the thing about the Stanford game was like. Or like backing up a second, like the thing that's interesting or maybe frustrating about watching Utah's offense this year is that it's like it, it can be slow to get going. You know, mm-hmm. like it's yeah, it's kind of hard to stop once it gets going, but like it can be real slow to get going. Like against Stanford, you know, like three of their first five possessions are empty possessions. Um, yeah. And the two that they score on, you know, they have to convert three different fourth downs, you know, in order to do it. And like, I get, you know, they're converting fourth downs without Cam Rising running the ball. So that's, you know, something. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's against Stanford's defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a fake pun on the first possession to to to, to prevent a, a, a three and out. Um, and, and, you know, but then starting with possession six that, you know, they reel off like four straight touchdowns that were like almost effortless. Um, yeah. And I don't know, man, like I, you know, I, I, I don't know about Bryson Barnes. I don't, you know, I, I, I guess this really for me just goes back to like, I'm not a big believer in Andy Ludwig. I think he sort of captured lightning in bottle in 2021 because he had three great tight ends. I think that he's like got half of one right now um, in, in, you know, whatever Dalton Kincaid's, you know, health status is, which again, I'm got any scoop. He played against uh, he played against Stanford, and so I assume he is good to go because there's really no reason to play him against Stanford if you don't think he's healthy. I get that, but know, I mean, it definitely score, seemed like, like he was more limited, right? Like they, it seemed like they had him on a pitch count, and then mm-hmm. it seemed like I don't know. I this I'm sorry to sound ghoulish about this, but I mean, I, I, it's my job. I got to analyze this game. Like he seemed to step slower. Like there's that one play. It was like, it was very early in the second quarter against Stanford where um, it's that seam route where he beats the Stanford ILB, which like, you know, that's not hard. Their yeah, ILB stink, hard, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, you know, but he's wide open and, you know, all rising's got to do is put a little touch on the ball and he, a rising winds up overthrowing him and B Kincaid can't sort of like accelerate to, to run under that ball to make the catch. And I'm sort of like, well, this is a microcosm for these two guys injuries right now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I didn't think that either of those guys were at hundred percent, you know, against Stanford, it wound up not mattering. Um, you know, the, it's Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But like, you know, it, it definitely struck me that like, th- it was not the Kincaid versus USC performance. I guess I would say definitely not that. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Mm from Kincaid or from I any bet you it'll happen but this Saturday I would <laughs> love for it to happen this Saturday um but book it the thing well so Kincaid's injury is a shoulder injury mm-hmm. uh at least I assume shoulder or in that general vicinity. Well, it looked like shoulder rib. it looked like he took like two real hard landings against Wazoo yeah so he had the original injury it was clearly hurt I do not know why the fuck they put him back in that was insane. for the touchdown. And then they, they called a play where he was inevitably going to be hit in the exact spot where he was hurt. Mm-hmm. It was 
it was uh, it drove I remember me we were talking about that game um and uh I we were saying I was saying like oh it's kind of cool that you know like cam rising seemingly was just like you know what I'm just not feeling it and Kyle Whittingham was a cool enough coach to not and then hit the day remind me well then they also put Kincaid in immediately yeah, afterwards like, so. I have no idea that, what that was they a rough one doing there I'm glad they took him out after that yeah but uh yeah it, it is confusing to me because now I don't I just don't know like what Kincaid's threshold for where he's going to play is. Cause obviously it's pretty high. Like if he got hurt and then went in for that play. Um, but I, I think I'd agree with you that Kincaid's not quite at a hundred percent. I do well, think he's but close like it didn't, it'll but, be fine for Utah's offense, but it won't be USC level Kincaid. Yeah. But I mean, the, the stuff that they were using him on, you know, for Stanford was like, it's a bunch of stop routes and crossers, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's little short stuff. Um, and like the other thing is that him not being at a hundred percent, which I think, you know, we're, we're agreed on, like didn't seem to cure cam rising of his lock on, you know, phenomenon. Cause he's throwing, you know, balls to that guy when he's covered like that, that interception, yeah. you know, like he shouldn't have thrown that ball. And then literally the next throw that rising makes after that interception, um, it's the third play of the next drive, but the first two were runs, uh, you know, he's covered again and the ball is nearly picked off again. In fact, it was double coverage. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like, that's why I started off asking you questions about like, you know, can mm -hmm. rising have lock on syndrome, you know, and he absolutely and, does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we've, we talked a bit about Vele's like emergence and, and sort of, he becomes the only wide receiver who's really getting targets. Um, uh, he appears to be at a hundred percent though. Like I, I got no doubts about that guy. Um, mm -hmm. you know, very tall, very rangy, great cast radius, um, has a, a great stutter step that I've, I repeatedly watch him fool, you know, um, defensive backs who are trying to, you know, play him in man, like they play him up on the line and he just has his little stutter and then he goes the other way and the, the, the DB is just like flying in the opposite direction. It's crazy. Um, he's yeah. I mean, the he's thing, really good. It's, it's crazy. That yeah. He's rated out of high school. It is it it doesn't I don't get it because I mean I feel like a lot of times with with high school it's about athletic traits and I feel like he has them like to be a good college recruit mm -hmm. but you know glad he's at Utah now the thing with Vele and Kincaid that lets Rising get away with some of his worst decisions uh, you know how he locks onto those guys is that both of them have incredible hands. Yeah. And just a fantastic ability to make contested catches. And so he gets away with a lot of that. Uh, if Kincaid's going to be still hurt, I don't know if he's going to have <laughs> quite or so if, much of that. If ability, Rising is still hurt and he doesn't have that, like, that touch to, to, to put it, like, you know, in the perfect mm -hmm. spot where the defender doesn't have as much of a chance to, yeah. to make a breakup, you know, like that, that could also be a problem, you know, as, cause like I've got a bunch of, I've got a bunch of my tally sheet where it's like there's somebody else who's wide open, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, it, you... the tunnel vision infuriating. Um, and then the other thing is that sort of like going down the rest of the list of the tight ends, it's just like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sold on Yasmin. I'm not sold on McLean. Um, and then the other guys, you know, Kendall and, and I think one of the four Pujitao Kendall's brothers a full are, back. So yeah, exactly. They're just blockers. Like, I don't, I don't really think they've been targeted. Um, I think uh, Yasmin is, is good enough. Uh, if we use the receivers like a competent offense should use their receivers, Yasmin would be a very good second tight end, but uh, we're not using the receivers enough. So I guess there is a little bit to be desired, especially with his fumble problems. Uh, yeah, there's definitely that. Um, but I mean, I, like I, you know, it, it, in 
outside of garbage time i mean i've i've only got the guy being targeted six times and i Mm -hmm. think i only have like two of them as being like catches for you know one of them's a touchdown you know great but like um but even that one he he got away with a hold i I think you know the, the play i'm talking about like yeah um like the the the, which was funny because Kincaid got called for exactly the same thing against Wazoo. Um, <laughs> but, but like they didn't call it on Yasmin. It was like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, the level of production is just like, you know, so much lower. And then McLean, you know, who's the guy who came over from USC, like mm-hmm. um, is, you know, that guy's built like a, like a wide receiver. I'm not really yeah, sure. I don't. trying to sell him as a tight end. Um, but I mean, what, what is definitely true is they do not have the like, the, the Andy Ludwig magic number of three, you know, threats to catch the ball, you know, in the form of tight ends is, is where I'm at. And so therefore, like, I guess I just see this passing offense as, as one dimensional is not the right word, but just like not nearly as, as, you know, multiple uh, and threatening in, in, in multiple different ways that the 2021 offense, you know, was, um, and that was before the injuries. And I think the injuries, you know, you know, I, I, there's only a risk that they're at less than a hundred percent, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 I, I, I totally agree with you. I think Utah has regressed on both sides of the ball, mm. uh, including offensively, but it has been masked a little I bit. I think that the running game is better. Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's, I think you're probably right. It's just, it feels a little different because, you know, always used to at Utah having you one workhorse and Tavion was that last year and he's definitely not been that this year. So it just feels a little different, but I think you're right. The run game has taken a step forward, uh, which well, is the, I mean, that was, the, that was the other thing about the, the, the well, the, the, I guess I'll put it this way. It is, it is the most efficient rushing offense in the Pac-12 that's not Oregon's um, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, the, the per play, you know, because I, I chart everybody's um, in, in terms of like, you know, per play, given the down and distance, did you get enough yardage to stay ahead of the chains? Like they are operating at about 58.5%, which is, you know, pretty good. It's it's only a skosh under championship caliber. And it's, you know, is frankly higher than they were at in 2019 or 2021. Um, the yards per carry is down a little bit because, they, well, basically they're not hitting the huge explosive runs um uh you know like there's there's only been a handful that's been over 20 yards outside of garbage time but they are like consistently getting the like five six seven eight nine yard runs um that you know not like not just like are barely enough to stay ahead of the chains they're like they're setting you up like second and ones you know where you can like the whole playbook is open um so I've got them averaging a five, 5.3 yards per carry adjusted, which is a pretty good number. Um, it's not like a super elite number, but it's, you know, if every time you touch the ball, you get halfway to a first down, like, yeah, you know, you, you can, you can do a lot of work with that and it sets you up in like second and manageable situations. And like, and, and I think that's why, even though the passing offense has, you know, all the problems that we've, we've discussed, I think that's why the passing offense is still pretty efficient. You know, 54% is still, you know, getting a, a fairly decent explosiveness rate. Um, it, you know, it's because I think the the rushing efficiency is setting that up. Is do you share that opinion that the, the the run efficiency is doing the like the hidden work to make the the passing offense better? I completely agree. Uh, you know, normally I don't like you know as you were sort of talking about I don't like the idea that teams should be establishing the run because I think it just leads to a lot of bad decisions being made offensively. But <laughs> Utah 
has absolutely leaned on the run, I think, to create the pass. I think one of the reasons that uh, Utah has open receivers so frequently, uh, although Cam doesn't throw to him as much as he should, is because teams are expecting Utah to run because that's the only thing I feel like we can reliably do on a per-play basis. Like, passing, I feel like, will hit. I mean, this is purely anecdotal and very possibly probably wrong. Just it feels like we do not hit on most of our passing plays. Like it feels like most of those end up going wrong in some way. Whereas a run plays it this year has been so consistently successful. Like you said, uh, the offensive line, I, I don't know if we, we haven't mentioned them yet, but I've been very impressed with them uh, in both run blocking and pass blocking this year. Uh, well, let's talk about the offensive line. Well, actually, you know, before we do that, let, let's circle back to the running backs because okay. uh, we were talking about that was actually the thing that was really interesting about that Wazoo game is that with like TV and Thomas out, you know, we suddenly got to see, hey, there's a bunch of other backs in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to see more of Mika Bernard. Um, we got to see the non garbage time version of uh, number one Glover. And we got to see the 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 other quarterback uh, who got turned into a running back, uh, uh, Jaquindon uh, Jack. Yeah. Um, and then as you were saying uh, I think before we started recording we've also seen um, some of uh, uh, the Wildcat quarterback um, Nate Johnson yeah um, yeah it's sort of like there's there's a lot more sort of going on you know in the run game there is sort of a weird decision to be made here because like the the success rate of each of those running backs is inversely proportional to their effectiveness in pass protection blocking. Yeah. So like, so like uh, Jackson is by far the most efficient of them, but he's gotten the fewest carries so far and he's by far the worst in rumble. I think cause he doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. He's a quarterback. Like he's, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and his, his build is kind of weird for a running back. You know, he's, he's pretty tall. He's really tall. Yeah. yeah. And that causes problems for him. Um, you know, and, but then on the other end of the spectrum, like by far the, you know, the best blocker is Bernard. Um, but he's been the least efficient, you know, of all the runners. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's only got a 41% success rate on his, you know, touches outside of garbage time, you know, which is, you know, well below what the rest of the guys are averaging. Um, and like, you know, Thomas is sort of in between, you know, Glover doesn't get a whole Glover's plays have not required him to do pass blocking all yeah. that much was sort of weird. Um, uh, but yeah, like, you know, there's if Thomas is back in the doghouse, I don't really see this, you know, rushing offense being affected that much. Like they've, they've got enough alternate, you know, tools to use that like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, fine. Um, uh, th- that's sort of my take. Do, do you agree with me on that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think Jaquindon Jackson, I'm surprised that he has been by far the most efficient just because he looks so awkward when he runs, like mm-hmm. <laughs> he's all the way over basically because he's trying to get low uh because he's so tall and i'm also surprised i mean like i i know the numbers i know mckay bernard has the uh, lowest yards per carry of the guys who are getting a lot of carries but uh i'm surprised by him being the lowest just because he feels so effective and it might just be because i notice how well he pass blocks uh compared to the others like i'm very impressed by how he does that at his size because he's not a big guy um, I also kind of wonder if, uh, how he's used doesn't tamp down his success rate a little bit. Cause I think, I think the other guys have done, have been pretty blessed in like how far they've been able to get before a real tackler actually gets to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like 
Makai Bernard has had so many times where he has to bounce off a guy in the backfield. I I think he is the best back in the room for sure, uh, which <laughs> I didn't expect to say coming into the year. Well, I think they sort of use them in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that could sort of explain it. But I mean, the 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 like the effectiveness per carry is way different, you know, yeah. between these guys. Um, and uh, like I said, it might not necessarily be a reflection on the running back himself, but like, yeah, you're totally right. Like Bernard just gets contacted way early. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, that like, I, it's probably something that would call for reevaluation of the playbook. On the other hand, the other issue is that like, the offensive line has been through a bunch of different iterations, right? Yes. Like, so the, the left tackle uh, Daniels and the left guard bills and the right tackle Laumea, who I think was the right guard for a long time. I was sort of curious. They moved him over to right tackle, but those three guys have taken every snap that I've seen anyway. Um, but the center and right guard, I, I've seen five different guys for those two spots, right? Um, it's been weird. Yeah. So, so Miley was getting most of the snaps and then he became unavailable. And then they, so they were playing Maya, um, at center. Um, and, and then in the middle of the Stanford game, they replaced him with, I, I believe a freshman, uh, number 61, Fayou. Um, and like, you know, just, I don't know, man, like none of those guys grade up really well on, on my tally sheet. Um, and, and I, you know, I sort of think that, that, that's sort of like, you know, uh, as as bernard's carries have gone up as thomas has been sort of increasingly in the doghouse mm. it's also been behind these these like backup center and right guard because the right guard you know i think they lost to funa and so they've been playing another freshman number 52 mokafisi who's who really grades out poorly like really yeah. bad um and I, I sort of think that like given how much of utah wants to run up the middle and given how much this is the other thing about utah's run games they really telegraph it man like like <laughs> I, you know i i break down the formational stuff like they they essentially only have four you know formations which is you know they're not exactly true but like they're they're either they're either in the shotgun or they're under center and they're either in one tight end or two tight ends and like you know, and their run rates in those for they're exactly what you think they are, you know, like, you know, uh, it, you know, when they're in the shotgun, they only run about 30% of the time when they're under center, they run 60% of the time. Yeah. Uh, when they have one tight end in, they run 72% of the time when they have, or excuse me, when they have one tight end in, they, they only run 28% of the time when they have two tight ends in, they run 56% of the time. And then if you like combine those, so it's like under center with two tight ends, uh, you know, it's 72% runs. And when they're like, you know, in the shotgun with only one tight end, uh, you know, it's, it's down to like, you know, 25%, right? It's like, they really telegraph what the play is going to be, you know, simply by the personnel and, and where the quarterback quarterback is at and like and so you're asking and like Stanford not a great rush defense you know did okay against uh Utah's run game for much of the game largely because it's like oh you're under center with 12 with with two tight ends well I guess we'll just put like eight players in the box and oh you ran into it anyway yeah (laughs) so like I sort of think that describes some of the issue with some of these, you know, w- w- with Bernard, you know, is that like they're asking him to do, you know, like I'll tell you what, you know, the type of running that's like I, I'll, everybody knows what we're going to do, but you can't stop me. And then other defenses are sort of like, but I can stop you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? 
And he's and he's been doing it with you know offensive line, you know personnel that's in the middle of the, mm. the the formation that's been injured. And I think that you know like so yeah, I come to the con- my conclusion anyway. This has been a long you know way of getting to Meek Bernard's rush numbers are not great this year, but I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the the situations that they're in in terms of like a, a, an offensive formation that really telegraphs the the play, the fact that they want to run up the middle, and that he's been getting carries. Um, uh, behind like backup offensive linemen um, who are freshmen um, and the, you know you put all those together like yeah you know no duh it's not gonna look great and that's that's my take I will shut up now what do you think about that take I think it makes perfect sense uh, you're right about the interior of the line has been moving around a lot like when Paul Miley is in I feel really good about the line he did a great job last year and I think he's done a good job this year too uh, but uh, I think you're right that, I mean, as we talked about already, Bernard has been getting shafted a bit with the kinds of carries he gets. Uh, it always feels like, you know, he's getting hit early and I don't think that's his fault. Uh, but uh, the telegraphing point is not one that I had thought of before, but it makes sense. Like even I, who is not tra- like, I'm not tracking anything as I watch these games. Uh, but, you know, when I'm watching the games and <laughs> I see the formations and what they're doing, I know what they're going to do. And so, of course, the other defense does. You know, it, it, this, I don't know. I don't want to spend this entire podcast bagging on Andy Ludwig. And that might sound really weird as an Oregon fan where, you know, Utah just put up a million points in two games against him. Although I don't think there were some other things going on uh, in those games. But just like, I don't think much of his creativity at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely agree with that. That, that was basically where my stopping point was for the offense. I was getting ready to switch over to the defense. Before anyway, we go to the defense, I do want to talk about Nate Johnson. <laughs> okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Nate Johnson, uh, I mentioned this before we started recording, but uh, he is, according to a tweeter who I have not fact-checked, but I've decided to take his word as fact. He has the fastest. That's fact on this podcast, uh-huh. by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Twitter is super reliable. And if anything, in the last for... week has taught us something. It's that you can rely on any verified, right? It has to be verified. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. not, not, not verified. Although I think this person does track football as like a job, I guess. But we, anyway, we take all speculation. I'm joking. Yeah, throw it <laughs> anyway, throw it according to him, uh, Nate Johnson runs, at least in high school, he ran the fastest 100, 100 meter time of any quarterback in FBS this year. He ran a 10 3 6. He's an extremely fast uh, person. <laughs> and Utah's been using him these last few games. And I think he's had five snaps total with three touchdowns. Uh, he is just faster than everybody else on the field. And I think that is like my biggest hope for Utah's <laughs> offense during the during the Oregon game because while we don't have Cam Rising's legs so much to bail us out of problems, I think you could really do some stuff when you have a quarterback like, you know, who you can just bring in in packages who is this fast. I think it really could present some opportunities for explosiveness for a Utah offense that is not that explosive. Uh, well, I mean, he he didn't, He has thrown a pass before, and against Stanford, he handed the ball once to Mika Bernard, who ran. I forgot about the handoff. Yeah, he ran for two whole yards, but then a Stanford defensive lineman committed a hands to the face penalty, so they got another fifteen on it. Um, 
but like I, I guess you can credit that to, <laughs> to Johnson. Yeah, I think that it's the good vibes that he provides, I think, is the answer. And you know, he was an elite eleven finalist, and so I'm choosing to believe that means he's also a good passer. Uh, we have no evidence that he is or isn't at this point. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that uh, there can be some some trickery bringing him onto the field. Everyone assumes he runs, and you give him the opportunity to take a shot. Anyway, I'm just I'm very excited. Well, he might even throw a pass to like Jalen Dixon, yeah, or, or Solomon Enos. instead of just a fullback instead who's wide open like, right in front of the line. Yeah, or forcing it to Valley for the millionth time. Yeah, I'm excited for next year, the Nate Johnson era. But yeah. Hey, podcast listener. Hey, come you. over here. Come yeah. over here. Get over here. Yeah. Huh? Nice headphones you got in here. Oh, yeah, I like those, Chevy. Be a shame if something were to happen to those headphones, eh? <laughs> Stomped them on the ground, eh? Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account. And gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. And hey, look at that. I hear you're listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that yeah. what he's doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, turning your three-hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash! Splash maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the Quack 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, Quack 12, give us five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud. Five stars. Leave us a little comment. Help other people find it. Maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift. You seen the posters on the telephone poles? Yeah, those are those are people that didn't give us fucking five stars. Some of them did, and we did it anyways. And then, uh, you know, uh, oh, hey, hey, look at, look at this podcast listener on their long inner, inner uh, continental flight. Making things not so bad. Not wanting to hear that baby by covering it up. Wah, wah, so they say. Putting on them headphones. Trying to get the Sky Waitress's attention. Get over here. Give me more of that Quack 12 podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why don't you? Yeah, you want some more of that Quack 12 podcast, don't you? You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic, never to be seen again. Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. In case you don't want to be part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business have you on your way. We'll forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars, that's all I got. Not listening up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My boss is talking to you, chump. Aren't you chump? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. 
All right, let him, let him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the fucking ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack. Uh, let's switch over and talk about the defense. All right. First of all, you you said you know at the top that you didn't think the defense was as good as it was in previous years. I generally agree. Um, at least it, it would be very difficult to match the 2019 performance. That was a really yeah. you know elite defense. And uh, you know 2020 they they and then they graduated all those guys at the end or they went to the NFL at the end of 2019. So 2020 was a rebuilding year, and that rebuilding was sort of like you know COVID inflected. Um, yeah. 2021, you know, is a decent season for them. But, you know, we talked about it over the summer. Like, it just it, it wasn't as good as 2019. And so I was sort of like, well, these guys will be grown up a bit in 2022. Um, and I don't really think that's happened. Um, yeah. Like, it really feels like that, in particular in the rush defense, really feels like it's yeah. fallen off. Um, do, you, do you agree with that assessment? Completely. I have never been more frustrated watching Utah football. Uh than I was during the UCLA game. That was infuriating to me yep. because like I'd known that the rush defense was bad coming into it. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was. It was so bad and it was bad last year too. It was bad last year too. Oregon state absolutely torched us, but it, it it's taken a step back without Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell. And like you said, the guys who we expected and hoped would grow into, you know, better players this year and pick up the slack haven't done it which has been a massive problem yeah it's well uh, we'll get to the individual players in a minute but just to, to some numbers as an overview the um the thing that's interesting is that in 2021 the the runs that were killing them were a relatively small handful of really big runs that you know where they get behind the defense and like mm -hmm. definitely the oregon state game is a good example of that the thing that's killer about the 2022 season is they're not quite as many like giant you know runs but there's just there's a lot more of them that are successful yeah. um successful for the opposing offense meaning unsuccessful for utah's defense yeah. so uh, i'm grading them out as only about 43 percent um you know uh, success rate meaning you know the opponent yes. is is 57 percent of their runs are successful against utah's defense um i i have them giving up 6.23 yards per carry um which is a bad number um terrible yeah and and about 22 percent are gaining 10 plus yards which like it you know like they're not so they're not super explosive but it is like reliably chunk yardage like one out of ten or excuse me uh, two out of ten um you know times that the opponent you know gives the ball to the running back the running back is producing a 10 plus yard game which is like that's a lot um mm -hmm. and and uh and then in the pass uh defense i think you know, it, it's going to be really hard to replicate that 2019 set of defensive backs who were just a bunch of killers and future NFL players. Um, I, I I really like Clark, Clark Phillips. I think he's one mm -hmm. of the best cornerbacks in the league. Uh, I think as a box safety and like quasi linebacker, um, uh, number eight, uh, Bishop. Cole Bishop, yeah, uh, pretty good. I've liked Vaki. Uh, he's sort of like come on the last couple of mm -hmm. games, although against offenses that are sort of like struggle fests. So um, yeah, and then Arizona, I, their offense is good, but that was a rain game and they fumbled yeah. like 10 times. Yeah, so. precisely. That game was real. Oh man. I I'm glad that you brought that up. Cause I had totally forgotten about it. Yeah. Like their last three games have just been against opponents that like their, their offenses are like wazoo 
can be a scary opponent if they're clicking, but they were doing the whatever the opposite of clicking is. It was uh, the worst uh, play calling I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Arizona can be a super scary offense, as UCLA just found out. Mm -hmm. um, but that game was played in a monsoon, um, which like I didn't know that they like, boy, the weather in Utah has been weird these last two weeks. Right. Like it was, the, it was very, very wet. Everything was slippery. But and then it was, it was like really super cold. dry and everybody's hands were made out of ice you yeah. know, in the game against Stanford. Mm -hmm. um, so like I, 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 I even sort of like even as is not great as the Utah defensive numbers look on my tally sheet, like I, I sort of feel like they're they're They may even be inflated by these last mm -hmm. three weeks of offenses that have sort of been struggling um, for reasons that are not entirely due to the Utah defense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. And I'm, I'm glad you feel that way, because I have been saying for weeks, like I just don't get how Utah's defense looks as good as it does, like according to like SP plus mm -hmm. or even just like any, any statistic you want to find, it feels like Utah's at the top of the pac 12. And when I'm watching the Utah defense, I just don't see it. I think Oregon state's defense is better. I think Wazoo's defense is better. Cal's defense might be better just because the rush defense is so bad. I think Utah, like you said, has just gotten really lucky with like, outside factors like you know you play washington state and they just decide they're only going to call screen plays the entire yeah, game right uh and so oh wow really easy game to defend you play arizona a tough offense who i actually think utah matches up decently well against just because you know their strength is their receivers i think utah's defense's strength is the secondary i think the secondary is legitimately good mm -hmm. but um so like maybe it wouldn't have been as bad as some other defenses have looked against Arizona, but it would have been significantly worse than it actually looked because of the weather. Like they because just kept the dropping snaps. I, it was just like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And they kept fumbling. Like they yeah. kept, it was like, yeah, man, um, it was, that, that game was really nuts. Um, and Stanford's offense is just bad. Yeah, right. But here's the other thing. I, I agree with you about the, the secondary. I definitely think the secondary is the strength of the defense um, to the extent that they have one. Um, and there are individual players who I really like, um, mm -hmm. you know, not just like, oh, those guys are competent, which is like, boy, there's a change of pace from most of the Pac-12. Um, yeah. But like there, you know, in addition to sort of a baseline level of competence for for all the DBs, there's also two guys that I really, really like in, in Bishop and and, uh, and and Phillips. And they stopped playing uh, Malone Mataele, which has been a huge yeah. win for me personally uh, <laughs> uh, yeah a while <laughs> I, I i noted that on my tally sheet and i was going to bring it up if you hadn't but i think that the problem with the pass rush it, well the problem with the past defense has been the pass rush they are effectively not getting home rushing mm -hmm. for um which like oregon fans know that one this year um and it was interesting because like the you know you could see the decision being made at halftime against usc when like caleb williams was having like six or seven seconds in the pocket mm -hmm. and was hitting like drag routes across utah's zone where like utah's zone coverage rules don't allow them to cross midfield um and and like well if the the drag route takes seven seconds to develop but rushing four is not getting home then like that dude is going to be wide open um and the way that they you know decided to deal with it is that the blitz rate has gone uh, the last four games so utah and then the three games after um after the bye week like they their blitz rate has been through the roof um like anytime they think that they're in a pass situation they're, they they're blitz, gonna blitz yeah. and like blitz a lot like six or seven guys um and, and, and they basically like i can count on one hand like literally i can count on one hand the number of times during 
the the last four games you know usc wazoo arizona and stanford and like most of those teams don't have good offensive lines um but i can count on one hand the number of times they've pressured the quarterback we're only rushing for um and so it's like it's all being put on the secondary um and then if their solution is to blitz then i mean it's really really being put on the secondary um so all right i'm glad that we're in agreement about that let's uh let's talk about some of the personnel here um i think so this is interesting to me i uh, we've talked about the linebackers a little bit already. Um, you know, like the, the, they lost two guys to the NFL who are really good. They've replaced them with a Diabate who I think is a transfer from Florida yeah, and uh Kareen Reed. And um, I'll just come out and say it. I just don't think they're as good. Yeah, um, and um, uh, so, so that sort of, and then the other thing is that, you know, they, they play four down front virtually every snap um, and, and have for years. That's Scally's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the defensive tackles, the two guys in the middle, um, I think I've only seen three guys, uh, at least during meaningful play, uh, 58 Tafuna, uh, 95 Vamahi and 77 Peppa. Mm-hmm. And what's really weird is that Peppa is way better than the other two, but he gets the fewest snaps. I well, think. yeah. So <laughs> sorry to cut you off, but what happened there is he was super overweight before the season. I mean, he's huge. He still is massive. He still is massive. But, like, I remember in week one, I'd never heard of him before. Uh, he had a great game in garbage time against SUU. No, uh, not week one, but week two, first home game. He had a, he had a great uh, game against SUU, and they asked Kyle Whittingham in the press conference, you know, just like, you know, what's up with Samote Peppa? And uh, he was like, you know, he's he looks really good. Uh, you know, we've been telling him he just has to lose like 35 pounds and we'll be able to play him more. You know, he'll be able to get more reps. He'll be faster. Uh, and so he's got to do that and then he'll get playing time. And we didn't see him a ton after that, I don't think. And then recently he started playing a lot more and it's been really good. Like he seems like a really good player. And I think it is, at least I hope what it does is it, stops utah because i feel like recently utah in recruiting has gone away from size on the defensive line mm-hmm. and i think it's hurt him and peppa i think is showing us that utah needs size on the defensive yeah, line <laughs> you definitely do well and, and they just need more dudes i mean this is where i'm going with this is just i i think one of the big problems with utah's rush defense this year is that the four dudes who are playing in the interior of their front so the two defensive tackles and the two inside linebackers mm-hmm. like I am only seeing five guys for those four or two spots during all of meaningful play. And like, even if they were, you know, all great, which I don't think that they're all great. um, But even if they were, I just think they get tired. Like, you know, they're just not rotating those guys or, or am I missing something? Or what do you think about that theory? I think you're totally right. And it makes sense. I think Utah's defensive line, like it's just Utah has had games where they've needed stops down the stretch and they just haven't been able to get it. And they've been getting, they, they got gashed by Florida. They got gashed by mm-hmm. UCLA and those two losses. Uh, and I think fatigue makes a ton of sense uh, as like a reason for that in the Stanford game uh, and possibly against Arizona too, but I'm not sure. Uh, Keanu Tanuvasa got some run and I'm hopeful that he continues to get more run because as you said, they need guys at, at, at tackle uh he is a freshman but i i liked what i saw from him <laughs> although he only has one tackle it was a sack and it was i feel like a good sack but as you said it is a very very thin room 
Um, and then the the defensive ends. Um, there's been more rotation here, although mm-hmm. I think they've lost one of them, Van Fillinger. Yeah, he's gone for the uh, season. For the season, but I, I've seen four. Well, I saw I've been seeing five dudes, so so they're down to four with Fillinger's loss. Um, seeing 83 Ellis, uh, 91 uh, Gabriel, the the Stanford transfer, who I assume is related to Kareen. They're Reed, brothers, was, yeah, yeah. Karen and Gabe. Uh, I oh, is it Karen? Yeah, it's Karen. Okay. Um, I've been seeing 47 uh, Sukutaraga mm-hmm. and um, 81 O'Toole, who I think came in as like a four-star wide receiver. Yeah, and he was... became a tight end and then became a defensive end. So <laughs> yep. like, he's going the opposite uh, way of the weight chart than mm-hmm. Pepe is, I guess. Like, There's a very like... funny moment. I think it was against Arizona where, I don't know, someone was on a breakaway and like O'Toole was outrunning everybody else to catch this guy. And it's just a very funny thing to see a defensive end do that. Like he still kind of mm. looks like a receiver. Yeah. He, I know what you're talking about. Um, uh, but like I said, you know, there, it's just like the pass rush didn't get home um, with these mm-hmm. guys. Um, and uh, you know, I, on the other hand, I do think that I, I'm not seeing like rush contained discipline problems, you know, like in terms of like maintaining the edge, like I think they're actually fairly good at that, you know, across the board and there's enough of them that they can rotate. Um, you know, in my opinion, the, the real problem is just run ups runs up the middle and that this that isn't these guys problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's my review of that unit. Uh, do you do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think the ends have just been like thoroughly average has been sure. the problem. Uh, like normally Utah will have one guy who can do something and we hoped it would be Fillinger, but I really don't think Fillinger has been impressive at all. Yeah, I know. He like leads that... the team in sacks, but like. I'm not I mean, sure. he was if it, if there was anybody of those five who was going to be that guy, it was going to be Fillinger. But like even before his injury, it still wasn't really yeah. Fillinger. Mm-hmm. I thought um, Ellis was better than him even at, even before. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but then and then like the, the the funny thing about Gabe Reed is that he's really he's built he's built like an OLB in a three down front, which is what Stanford was using him, you know, as, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I thought it was kind of weird that he transferred to one of like, I think three programs in the pac 12, that run a four down front. And, and the fact that he's uh Karani Reed's brother, I was sort of like, yeah. that finally clicked for me. Like, Oh, there, that's why. And Britton um, Covey was like his best, best friend in high school. And I think yeah. he like, recruited him. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about the defensive backs. Yes. Uh, cornerback. Uh, I have noted uh, the same thing about Mataele. Um, I'm really, I, I think, just seeing three guys at cornerback. Clark Phillips is playing in virtually every snap. Uh, and then the other guys in the field, I, it seems like it's sort of been split in time between number four, uh, Broughton, and number 16, Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't think I've seen anybody else, at least not, you know, in the, the you know, second half of the season. H- have I got that right? I, th- I think you do. I'm not sure what happened to the other guys that were like, in play there like i thought marks would be a bigger thing i don't know if he got hurt or what but as far as i can remember it feels like it really is at this point of the season just phillips uh broughton and vaughn yeah that was an interesting uh you're talking about fabian marks number fabian number marks yes, yeah we great. saw we saw him all over the field in 2021 and then i basically haven't seen him at all mm-hmm. um this year um and, and then here's the other thing that's like I don't know. This is weird, man. Like really weird. Um, I I know that Bishop is the box safety. I see him all the time. Yes. Um, I know that Vaki is also a box safety. It, it seems like he's just backing up Bishop. You know, he just sort of comes in on on yeah. the other plays. Um, I don't know who the 
uh, the two traditional safeties are in this defense. I barely ever see them. I I think it's Hubert and Isbell, 11 and 12. Yeah. Like, man, I have so few reps on my tally sheet for those guys. Like, I don't know what the deal is. I, I don't know Wait, why. You don't have very many reps for Hubert? I, I don't mean, I, I'm sorry. When I say reps, I, I don't mean like, uh, uh, I, I mean like um, where they're involved in the play in some oh. way. You well, know, not, the not on Hubert, the field. I think he is second in the team in tackles or he's up uh, there. Uh, but it's all in garbage time, man. That's like, fair. That's fair. Like it's so weird, like opposing offenses, even with everything that we've discussed in terms of, you know, the the difficulty with the pass rush and facing some pretty dynamic offenses like UCLA and USC um, and Arizona could be, but you know, they played that game in a rainstorm. Like uh, these guys don't get challenged in pass coverage very much. And I don't know if that's because they're really good and have their guys locked down or, if it's because opposing offenses are idiots and that they're, you know, they, they need to get attacked and tested more often. I don't know what the, what the answer is. What do you think about those guys in coverage? So I don't know, man. Like, so Isbell, I don't think has played a lot. At least mm-hmm. I haven't noticed him a lot. I do think Hubert plays most downs, but as you said, he hasn't been involved a lot, at least in past coverage. Uh, I've never been like, a massive fan of Hubert. Like Mm. he's another one of those players where I just feel like he is fine. He can do the job, but at the same time, I don't think that the offensive play callers in this conference for the most part are morons. Like I actually think we've Mm. upgraded as a conference pretty well this season. Although maybe Utah hasn't played all the, the great play callers. Uh, and, you know, I think Jonathan Smith, who is one of the best play callers, he doesn't really have a real quarterback to work with. Yeah, that's a big so, problem. And, uh, and the other thing is that, you know, Utah's great benefit is that they, you know, they, they don't play the dumbest offensive coordinator in the Pac-12. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess John Donovan's gone. So mm-hmm, the race mm-hmm. for that is is wide open. Yeah, that's um, definitely who I was referring to. Well, no, I mean, like now I know you're referring to Ludwig, but I mean, like now that uh now that John Donovan is gone, the dumbest, the race for the dumbest. Well, who are the who are the two teams that Utah misses from the North? It's Washington and yeah. So we missed DeBoer, and uh, which is good. I'm very glad we don't. Cal, play them. Cal's the other team that Utah okay, misses. Yeah, Musgrave sucks. Yeah, but... exactly. So like you miss uh, DeBoer might be one of the better. You know, like, yeah, yeah but DeBoer is very good. Yeah, like I, I hate you know because Oregon played Fresno State to start out the 2021 season. I went back and did a bunch of film study on that staff that then turned out to be pretty useful because he mm-hmm. wound up as the Washington coach. And I remember on this podcast i was like i sure hope that, this is before even jimmy lake got fired i was like i sure hope that when they inevitably fire jimmy lake they don't hire kaylin DeBoer because i don't like playing his offense i'm like here we are mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true so there so like utah you know thank your lucky stars you're not playing that guy on the other hand uh you know curse your unlucky stars that you don't get to play musgrave like <laughs> yeah, that, that's a shame i, I would have loved to play musgrave instead of the Oregon offense, but yeah, uh, or Chip Kelly or Lincoln Riley. Yeah. You know, like, what yeah. about the Ty Thompson led Oregon offense? Would yeah, you want right. to play that one? Uh, that rushing offense, I think might. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I haven't gotten into how down I am on Utah's chances in this game, but like, I think even without Bo Nix, y'all might still. <laughs> that's, <laughs> boy, that's not true. I guess there are here's... many games in the recent past that are floating to my mind where it's just like, oh, well, we got a great running game. It should be all right that we put in the back that's of the quarterback. Point. Stanford and... last year comes to mind. Oh, yeah. I was thinking yeah, against right. like losing to Wazoo when we put Lockie in. That was one that really came in. Yeah. 
so since we're zooming out a little bit, here's I, I am not asking you to make a prediction about the outcome of this game or if Oregon will be successful in implementing this strategy, but I do think that the relative strengths and weaknesses here present a fairly obvious strategy to beat Utah. Um, and I'm wondering whether or not you agree that there's sort of a blueprint here, even though not many teams have actually tried it, which is like strange. But anyway, it's basically, you know, exploit the rush defense, you know, mm -hmm. efficiency issue. Like basically in between the fact that Utah's offense can take some time to get started. Um, that you can probably, you know, the, the opponent, uh, the hypothetical opponent, I, I'm not specifically referring to Oregon, but like the, the blueprint yes. opponent, uh, you know, build up something of a lead, you know, while Utah's still, you know, warming the engine up. Uh, and then once you have that lead, just shut it down and run the ball against the rush defense and keep the ball out of Cam Rising's hands because, you know, if rising and Kincaid and valet are healthy and the offensive line, which I agree with you is better in, in, in pass blocking, um, uh, you know, that, that, that offense can become unstoppable and the, 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 the way that you need to, to, and plus like Utah's just the luckiest shit team. Like, mm -hmm. fucking, like uh, there's so many things that happen in Utah games where I'm just like, no other team has that happen for them. I mean, USC uh, has like the fumble luck of, I don't even, they recover every single fumble that happens yeah. in their games and it's infuriating and we don't have that, but I know what you mean. Like, it just seems like weird lucky bounces happen for Utah. And I like luck is kind of a four letter word when it's in the analytics game. But I mean, boy, it happens a lot. And like, and there's so many plays in which, like, you know, the opposing defense has rising dead to rights. And he just sort of like His magically scrambles away. You know, he just sort of like escapes and like, oh, and I'll throw a 40 yard pass. Wee! And it's yeah. like, oh my God, dude. Um, So, like, there's sort of an unstoppable terrorizing quality of Utah's offense that if I were an opposing um, coach that I would want to just be like, just don't let that happen. And the way that you don't let that happen is that you just totally take the air out of the ball and you run, you know, you, you build up like a 17 point lead, you know, and then you, um, and, and then you just shut the game down. Like what, like what a certain team did, uh, you know, where they like took 12 minutes off the clock, you know, running the ball, uh, and, and just try to like end the game in a single drive. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the blueprint to beat Utah. That, that would be what I would do. Is that what you would do to try to beat Utah if you were asked to do such a thing? Yeah, I would, I would lean heavily on the run from the beginning. Uh, and I'd also take shots down, uh, in a way that I don't think teams have been doing against Utah weirdly like it is well like I wouldn't take shots against Phillips but like I think yeah, I, I would avoid Clark taking, Phillips but yeah but like, I think I would be comfortable taking shots against the rest of the DBs like I, I guess that's where I, I'm not sure that if you and I disagree here about the the quality of the DBs not named Clark Phillips but like mm -hmm. Bishop is playing in the box so even though I really like him you know we're not when we're talking about deep shots we're not talking about Bishop mm -hmm. defending them um and it's weird because like the only the only guy that I ever see opposing offenses take shots against is Clark Phillips. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it doesn't make any throw sense. against like anybody think, else. It's like, they think because he's short, it's going to be, be like, it. they can do it, but it's funny. Cause he is it never sort of like a slot corner and he plays outside. And so like, I guess I could see opposing offenses talking themselves into it, but you now have like, what is it? Three years 
of film on this guy. He like, has five interceptions this year. Like, what are I, you doing? I, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> like, in, including, I think, two of them are pick sixes, right? Yeah, two pick um, sixes. Yeah. And he's had, just... I think, a pick six each of the last two years, too. It doesn't make any sense why teams keep attacking him. I think, if I could, because I don't think Utah follows receivers with him, which I, I kind of wish we, we would. They wish... did in 2019. Or in 20, yeah, in 2019. Yeah, uh, Jalen Johnson. That was something mm-hmm. I very much appreciate. I love Jalen Johnson. Uh, I wish we'd done with Clark Phillips. Like in the Rose Bowl, it drove me mad that like Clark Phillips wasn't on Jackson Smith and Jigba the entire game. Yeah, that was crazy to me. And, uh, but you know, we don't do that very often. Well, so that's so a I good matchup because Smith and Jigma is more of an he's a smaller receiver. corner. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But so what I would do if I could is I would attack Travis Broughton downfield. Uh, when you can, because I actually really like Zamaya Vaughn. I think he has done a fantastic job. Another former walk-on, right? I don't know if he's a former walk-on. I do know I think he's he was in positions. Uh, uh, yeah. He was a safety, and he has played almost no corner. Like, he was learning corner for the first time last year, and I think he's done a great job of picking it up. And, you know, he has eight passes defended this year. But I think if I could, I would attack Broughton downfield because I think he has the most potential to get just beaten by a faster guy mm-hmm. and while hubert has done a good job i don't i don't i just don't trust him you know yeah. uh like so if i were oregon i would be looking to hit troy Fla- troy franklin in play action as much as i can uh while also leaning heavily on the run because utah's not going to stop the run and if you want to be explosive i think the opportunity is there through the air if you attack the right spots and i just also think that like you just can't you you can't let Utah the second half Utah play themselves you know back into games where they're just like the the rabbit's foot gets firmly wedged up their ass mm-hmm. and uh, they just pull off like the oh my god Utah the stuff USC um, game yeah <laughs> that like, was insane <laughs> I mean yeah I that USC game was actually like it was really fascinating to do study on um, I do think USC like you know their fans this is nothing to do with Oregon so I'm sorry but their yeah. fans complained a lot about the refs in that game for the roughing the passer calls but like <laughs> jesus fucking christ they did not call holding that entire game mm. and it drove me insane uh Rest yeah back. no the, the balance of uh the balance of officiating in that game came out pretty even um with mm-hmm. a lot of like i don't know the, the rest didn't cover themselves in glory in that no, game but to not. say that that was totally one-sided in utah's favor you know i think was sort of yeah ridiculous. they were just bad yeah um I, I mean, like, it is not to say that, that you know, the, the refs didn't hand Utah some favors in that game. They definitely did. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, like, yeah, the idea that, like, oh, the refs stole that game from USC. And I'm like, no, the problem was that, like, Lincoln Riley, like, his first three drives against Utah, Lincoln Riley was had all these gadget plays, and then he just ran out of them. And, like, I, this was the, the, uh, another thing that was weird about my 2021 film study season was that I did all that, you know, Alamo Bowl prep for for Oklahoma because that's who Oregon played. And so I watched, like, 12 oh. Lincoln Riley games. <laughs> yeah. and, and then that turned out to be useful, you know, because now he's at USC. And, like, that, you know, I, I was our, I was halfway through that project, you know, but uh, before, you know, that announcement got made. It was crazy. Um, so anyway, the, the like, 
I, I, I think he's a great like play to play play caller, like, you know, down to down play caller in the middle of the game. But like in terms of game planning, like analyzing your opponent's strengths and weaknesses and like designing a game plan to attack them and to cover up, you know, your flaws vis-a-vis their strengths. Uh, I think he's terrible. And like, I think that game really exposed it, you know, even though they like they get like 41 points or whatever it was in that game. Uh, they got stopped y- in the second half. Yeah, they they did, and it was because Utah made an you know an adjustment. Like they realized that they they weren't getting home. They started blitzing. And U, uh, USC ran out of tricks, and like now he seriously just got got out coached. You know, in the middle of a game that he started out with like a, what was it, like a twenty one point lead. You know, yeah, like, it was I think it was fourteen points, but it felt like it felt like Utah one more touchdown. Like if if they'd extended that lead anymore, Utah would have folded. It felt. It, and, yeah. and it was crazy. Like the other thing about Lincoln Riley is just like absolutely maddening about like what a poor game plan. I think that Lincoln Riley is, is just like that, that blueprint that I just described where like you jump to a lead and then you shut the game down running the ball. He had access to that strategy. You know, he has Travis Dye who's, you know, running back that, you know, everybody likes uh, he's certainly on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like he could have just pounded the ball like over mm-hmm. and over, but like he outsmarts himself. Like he, like if they're not passing, he's not happy. Um, I, yeah, no, like that, that game was really fast. And like, I, this sounds like I'm trying to take stuff away from Utah and I'm really not. Um, I, I don't but, think so. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, I, I am deliberately trying to, to, to extend credit to the way that Utah made some adaptations in the second half to the way that they were playing. And those adaptations, I think were essential to them winning the game. It's really sort of like, it's just a contrast to USC's, you know, where they go from, you know, very effective in their scripted, you know, gadget drives at the beginning of the game to sort of an almost vanilla offense that you Utah did an effective job of adapting to and stopping, you know, and they just weren't scoring enough in the second half in order to keep up with the now here's where I am going to trash talk Utah, the goddamn rabbit's foot that's wedged up y'all's asses, uh, <laughs> you know, to like where where Dalton Kincaid catches 16 straight passes for hundreds upon hundreds of yards like. <laughs> you know like you have to anticipate that's going to happen when you play utah and you have to just keep scoring like uh or at least like keep the utah from from possessing the ball um and and usc just totally utterly failed to do that whereas ucla did and ucla came with the win came away with the win you know in fact a fairly com- comfortable one even though you know utah like made that you know kind of close to the end it was like it. a sort of comeback but it never felt like utah was going to be able to get a stop and so it never yeah. felt like it was realistic that utah would win um, so like, I, I don't know, man, like, I, I think, um, I, I, you know, uh, I, I don't know more than anything. Like I learned so much from that, that Utah USC game. I actually think it was like the most like educational game that I watched all year. Uh, it taught me a lot about Utah and it also taught me a whole lot about USC to the point where like, I really hope that the way this whole thing works out, sorry to Utah fans for having said, this is like, I, I hope that Oregon beats Utah. I hope that UC USC beats UCLA and Oregon gets to play USC in the title game another time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and sends them off with it, with a good old Glasgow kiss. Like, uh, yeah, man, like that, that game opened up so many, and it was Utah that showed it to me too. Like, and their uh, offensive know. line has only gotten worse since then. Cause they keep it getting injured. Has. Well, yeah, you know, that's unfortunate. And they lost Travis die, which is also unfortunate. Like, yeah. boy, I would have liked to, to have like one more meetup, you know, with that. <laughs> not, not the like, Oh, I'll show you for, you know, defending yeah, know or it's just like, would have been nice to see the guy again, you know, like, and instead he's going to be on the sideline for the rest of the year, which sucks. Um, like really sucks. Um, 
but yeah, I guess like I'm talking to you about USC, which like maybe I shouldn't. Maybe weird. it's a waste yeah. of your time. But like <laughs> that I just usually means we're wrapping up the podcast. It, it was just it was a super <laughs> educational game. And if anybody like who's listening to this missed that game, go pull it up on your DVR because it was like it was it was such an interesting contrast in styles, and and the fact that it ended as a one point you know win, um, you know like that. It, it, that didn't happen because they were mirror images of them you know, mm-hmm. of each other that happened because they had strengths and weaknesses that sort of played off of each other and that one team adapted in order to pull off the comeback and win um even though they sort of like looked left for dead you know in the first quarter um and it was sort of a testament to utah and like is the ongoing testament to utah given that this is like not a particularly high talent team um and yet, you know, they're in the catbird seat a lot of the time in the Pac-12, you know, because they do stuff like that. Um, you know, they don't do stupid things the way that a bunch of other teams do, you know, and that's, you know, that's why all Oregon fans are terrified of this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you know, we haven't really talked about what we think the outcome is going to be, but I would be really surprised if Oregon doesn't win this one comfortably. I'm kind of expecting a 2019 I- redux. I feel like if if everybody is healthy and Oregon follows the blueprint that we talked about Mm -hmm. that, like, yes, I think that Oregon can win this game, but like, I can't predict any of those things are going to happen. I don't know what anybody's health is. And I don't know if Oregon's going to, did Forsyth get hit hurt against Washington? Yeah, he had a shoulder thing. Um, But like, I don't know. He was, I, 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 when I did my film study on that game, it looked like, I think I can identify the plate on which it happened. And then he continued to play for the, like the rest ah, of a long drive. Okay. So I don't think it was like super bothering him. On the other hand, I do think it resulted in the bad snap, which ultimately like, Oh, set mm. up that like chain of events, which I think cost Oregon the game. So like, I don't know, man, like yeah, I, I don't, geez. but it, yeah, I, I just don't know what his status is. They're also down another, um, a guard, you know, Ryan walk, although they oh. rotate three guys through the guard spot so that's not i didn't you know, know they the were down a guard yeah uh well but they've been like i said they've been rotation rotating, yeah yeah th- th- three guys for the two you know left guard right guard spots so like that's that's although in my opinion he was the best of those three guys so like eh. yeah. um but uh yeah no like it's sort of like oregon's been relatively fortunate on the injury front you know this year especially compared to last year when they had like a, a million injuries at inside linebacker yeah. um which like really you know mm-hmm. is killing them but like yeah man if it all like hits right now and like the dire street you know the washington utah oregon state stretch like That's oh now now stretch. now we'll get injured you know whereas, yeah. like, whereas utah like i don't oh man this might sound i'm really gonna tempt fate saying this shit but like uh it was funny to me that in this like this three game stretch against pretty beatable teams, you know, That's when you talk uh, out hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh, and now we're going to get to full strength and we have to play serious game. You know, like mm-hmm. this feels like very Utah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're tempting fate by feigning injuries too. So yeah, you know, right. it's oh, all yeah. oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. That was <laughs> totally fakes. Yeah, I've right. decided that the, uh, the timing of the injury uh, this year, this is compensation for 2018 where that Pac-12 championship should have been ours. Oh my god. But well, I, you'll Huntley never Moss, get any disagreement against me when you're playing Washington. Yeah, so. Huntley and Moss <laughs> both get hurt and so we mm-hmm. have to go in. And Armand Shine is the worst running back who has played for Utah in like 20 years, so <laughs> it it was rough. But, you know, I think this is this is compensation for that. Hopefully we don't get another I don't know, game like that Utah Washington game ever again. I think that set back the sport 20 years. So. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I mean, the Pac-12 gods are always just and reasonable, so we should be in for some clear sailing for these final two weeks of the conference. Oh, it's funny is Oregon could beat the shit out of Utah, uh, and Utah might still make the, the title game with how the tiebreakers work. That's true. The, the, <laughs> the way the tiebreakers are kind of like, yeah, there Would is the Ducks a have weird... to lose in that scenario? Uh, no, no, they don't. That In that scenario, UCLA has to beat... Uh, UCLA has to beat USC, and then I think one of UCLA losing to Cal, Washington beating Wazoo, or Oregon losing. Oh, I guess Oregon losing to Oregon State is one of the ways that Utah gets in in that scenario. But I think it's at this point very likely that Utah goes, even with a loss. Hmm. Interesting. Well, because they because they own the tiebreaker against with USC. USC. Yeah. Um, so like if USC wins, they're in because they'll only have one yeah. conference loss and their last game is against Notre Dame. So they, you know, they're done with their conference season. Um, if USC loses, they have two losses, but Utah has a win over them and Oregon doesn't play USC. Mm-hmm. So it goes to some like some Highest weird opponent. Yeah, exactly. Some yeah. weird tiebreakers. They get. Yeah. Yeah. Funky. Listeners, you should have your whiteboards out. We sent an Equactual fan usually has a whiteboard and, and you can draw along as we t- spill it out. <laughs> uh, no, Greg, it was so nice having you. Nice I really, really enjoy your podcast at No Truck Stops Podcast. It's a podcast for all us Pac-12 fans, and you can support them by going over to their Patreon, which I understand they have a lot of really fun stuff over there. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you guys are going through the basketball season too, you know? Yeah, you know, we're excited to get into it. I'm especially excited for, well, I guess, you know, I'll be sad when football season ends, but it'll be nice to not be, like, only half paying attention to basketball. So, you know, <laughs> once once football season ends, we'll be even more in on basketball, and, you know, we'll have a lot of stuff going on there and on the Patreon. So, yeah, check it out. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, at Banana Morphs is where you can find Greg on Twitter, at No Truck Stops Pod is where you can find that podcast Twitter account. Also, subscribe to them, give them five stars, and do it for us too, you jerks, if you haven't done already. And Hithliday, please go read his work over at Addicted to Quack, uh, Duct Tape. That is one of the, it is the best article that you can read breaking down Oregon's opponents or, or the game they just played, the game they're about to play. They're absolutely really worth the read. Um, and this is coming from an idiot who doesn't read all that much. So, wow. Hithliday, thanks so much for joining the pod again. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, uh, and, Greg, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, good to, to talk to you again too. soon. Yeah. Uh, Although Quack, I prefer Avery. I, I don't like your second fiddle. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah we yeah, did. That's fine. You know, I accept that. We made it clear, and she rejected us, and we're going to yeah, be Yeah, she's pretty... bigfooting us this week. Yeah, yeah we're, like we're going to be pretty pissed if we hear her on any other Oregon Ducks podcast. I'll tell you that. Yeah, we're, we're I, if Utah wins, on. I'll see if she has uh, <laughs> the time in her schedule to come and gloat. Oh, suddenly <laughs> she's got all the time <laughs> in the world. I get it. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk to you next week after this. Uh, triple overtime crazy yeah. shootout. I, my heart cannot handle that, so please know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Quack, quack. See y'all next week. See y'all. Quack, quack, quack.